So what we'll do today, I will give you a very brief overview of the parsha, and thank you, Wayne. This is the chair for Elijah. <laughs> I'll give you a brief overview of the parsha, and uh, I'll give you a couple thoughts about a specific theme. And I have a music video for you today that I want to look at and see what kind of a it'll get it get us thinking, and then we can just have some open discussion on the parsha. You know, we, we never read the whole parasha, right? Our, our hope is that during the week you'll be reading the scriptures at home, whether it be by yourself or with your family or whatever. But the idea is, this is like our little gathering. This isn't your, your, the, the meat and potatoes of your spiritual life, right? This is more like the cherry on top. So the meat and potatoes of our spiritual lives happens every day. And then on Shabbat we come together and we have some celebration and we enjoy the cherry on top. Right, so that's that. That's hopefully the idea, and that is counterculture. That's different for a lot of people. Like when they when they go to church, that is the pinnacle of their spiritual lives. For some people, that's the only time they get into the Bible. For some people, you know, that's but that's not the way we want to be, right? We want personal discipleship to be top every day, and we want study, uh, whether it be with friends or with family, to be really important during the week also. So uh, we want we want to emphasize that as as a community. That's why we don't really cover all the material every week, because hopefully we're doing that at home. Um, in chapter 12, Avram is called. Uh, originally, he, he left with his dad from ur which is in the uh, area of Mesopotamia, uh, modern-day Iraq, and uh, they went to Haran. Uh, Jewish tradition says that Abram was 50 when he left, left uh, ur I can't remember if it says that in the text of the Torah. 25 years later, when he was 75, Yahweh called him on to the next stage. So we actually, they parked for 25 years as a family in Haran, which is about halfway up the Fertile Crescent between ur and the land of Canaan. Uh, in this parasha that we just read, Yahweh promises Avram that he'll become a nation. So he promises him a large number of people. Uh, he promises him some real estate, a geographic area for his nation to live in and he very clearly delineates the boundaries and he promises number three that he'll bless him and he says I'll bless you Avram so that you can have high self-esteem so that you can become a wealthy person and feel secure so that no that's not what he blessed him he said I'll bless you so that you can be a blessing Uh, we also see that he said I'll bless your friends and I'll deal with your enemies essentially those are some really handy things to have when you're a nomad and you're traveling and uh, you could be susceptible to uh, uh, being taken advantage of or even attacked. In chapter 13, uh, Avram and Lot divide. They're just, they have so many employees and as a, as, a, as, a wandering, as a wandering clan, they get so big there's just not room. There's some friction happening between Avram's and Lot's employees. And so they separate. And Avram shows a remarkable degree of largesse. He just says, you know what, Lot? You go wherever you want. You take the best for yourself, and I'll go. I'll take whatever's left. That takes a very high degree of confidence and, and generosity. You can tell he was very secure in the promise that Yahweh was going to take care of him. Um, my, my favorite verse, I think, from uh, yeah, in, in verse uh, in, in chapter thirteen, verse fifteen, Yahweh reiterates the promise after they separated, and, and he says, "Lift up your eyes." And look from the place where you are. And then he lists all the directions. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your seed forever. And then in verse 17 he says to get up and walk around the land. Because I'm going to give it to you. So there, maybe there's a principle there. When you know the territory that's your inheritance, go walk around and have a look at it. Um, verse 14, we have uh, what was something of a, a world war in the ancient world. There were, there were two alliances of several kingdoms. And... Uh, they had a significant clash. Uh, Lot was taken in the process. And uh, 
Avram must have had some degree of military prowess as a strategist also, because he only had 318 men, and he went and he actually trounced an army of four or five allied kings. That's really impressive, and he rescued Lot. Uh, uh, a gentleman steps on the scene named Malki Tzedek, which means king of righteousness, and uh, apparently he's like an officiate, like he's a priest of the highest god. In Hebrew we say El Elyon. And Avram cuts, a te- cuts him a tenth of all this stuff. So on a practical level, you know, Yeshua said, if you're the children of Abraham, do what Abraham did. So we see right away, this is something that continues on today in our lives as believers. You know, we have income, whether that be monetary or resources, and we cut Yahweh a tenth of that stuff. And then where we allocate that, um, it's not like there's a temple or there's a priesthood to allocate that to. So, you know, there is the question of what do you do with that. But there is that underlying principle that begins all the way with Abram. When you're in covenant with the creator of the universe, you cut him a tenth. So we see that there. That's a practical application we get from this parsha. Um, in verse 16, we have something of a fiasco with an attempt to make good on God's promises. God isn't coming through when we want him to, so let's try and get this thing going. So um, Avram takes a second wife. Uh, he does have a, have a son, Ishmael. And... Uh, it results in a lot of heartache for a lot of people. And uh, if you believe that the religion of Islam is the, uh, is the, is the offspring of Ishmael, then, uh, then that's something that continues to be a significant problem today. Um, something really notable from this chapter is when Hagar is on the run, the messenger of Yahweh appears to her and he says, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away. But she didn't know where she was going. And so the messenger said, go back. You need to go back. It's kind of interesting. We have two figures here. Avram, on the one hand, has answered a call, and he doesn't know where he's going either. But he's going there with Yahweh. Hagar also is going somewhere, but she doesn't know where she's going. And in her case, he says, you need to go back. It's interesting. Um, Chapter 17, Avram is given a new name, the Hebrew letter He, which represents life, and the spiritual dimension is inserted into his name, and he goes from being Avram to Avraham. Uh, Something notable. When we are on the journey with Yahweh, he will change you. And not that he always gives people new names, but the concept of having a new name connotes having a new identity. It's like you're a new person. That's what he does with us. And I love that. Uh, he give, in chapter 17, he also gives Avraham the sign of circumcision as a sign of the covenant. He says it's forever. Um, it's kind of interesting, actually, when the new believers were coming into the early Yeshua movement from the like, hardcore pagan world, there was this big question. Do we require these guys to be circumcised? And it's, it's a really good question. You know, that's like the big debate in the first century. Acts chapter 15 is where it came to a head. But it's a good question because you have... You have um, Yeshua's apostles like Shaul saying, you are B'nai Avraham, you are children of Abraham. You have been brought into the covenant. And then you have the big question, what does that mean we circumcise them? It's very notable that these people were brought into the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant it's a covenant of promise. And yet at the same time, they didn't require them to be circumcised. I, it's almost a paradox. There's something there to, to think about. Why? So they leave some why questions. Um, it's also notable that just like there was a physical sign of the covenant with Abraham. There's a physical sign of the... Let's see, if the covenant with Abraham was the Abrahamic covenant, maybe the covenant through Yeshua shed blood would be the Yeshuak covenant. Yeshuak? Maybe we could coin that term. I don't know. But anyway, the, the, the sign 
of the Yeshua covenant is immersion in water. We read that, for, for instance, in Colossians. So um, maybe if you are a believer coming from the nations, you're not required to get circumcised to enter the community of faith, but you are required, according to Yeshua's own commandment, to be immersed in water. So if you haven't been immersed in water, it's never too late. I don't know who here has and who hasn't. But if you haven't been, I, I strongly encourage you to be immersed in water. That is something that, that's a commandment of the Master that we uh, uphold in our congregation. So that's, a, that's, an, that's an overview of this parsha for you, and we can have some discussion on it in just a second. I, I just want to have a short meditation on the concept of journey. Because Avram was on a journey. Like he started out in a, in a, in a relatively static metropolis, I mean, yeah, it was a big city and it was growing and culture was changing. But, you know, when you buy a home in a city, you're pretty stationary. You don't move around very much. Unless you're really hyper and you go for long bike rides or you need to take road trips. I don't know. But um, he, didn't, he didn't end there. Avram's dad, there was something going on with his dad. Because uh, when Avram was 50, like we mentioned, he left the big city. And he went to Haran, which was more, more, a little bit more on the outskirts of civilization. It was a little more of a frontier city, probably. Maybe like Saskatchewan was, uh, let's say, 100 years ago. And, uh, and they lived there for 25 years, as we mentioned. And then when Avram was 75, Yahweh spoke to him, and he called him on. So apparently, the, the degree of departure that his dad had taken him on wasn't enough. This was a generational progression here. And actually, it's interesting, because it says in the text that Ab- Abram's dad left Ur-Kasdim, to go to Canaan. But for some reason, he stopped halfway there, and he never, he never took the journey to its, uh, to its conclusion. So Abraham, as the next generation, rose up, and he, he carried that torch that his dad had started. I think that when, when, I, when I think of some of us, and I've heard some of our family histories, I can totally see that. There was a torch that was passed on from generation to generation, and we're taking that to the next level. So uh, here, here are a couple hallmarks that I see about Avram and his journey. Uh, number one, he was a prophet. Yahweh explicitly says he's a prophet. I think it's in the next parasha. So in other words, he had rapport with the Creator. Yahweh spoke to him. He wasn't just winging it and doing whatever he wanted. He, he was answering a call. And uh, when, I, when I look at the relationship that Avraham had with Yahweh, I believe that's a relationship that's open to every one of us. Because according to Paul, the gift of prophecy is something that's open to every one of us. So that's the first thing. You know, it's kind of cool. The the, the, the dynamics in Avram's life were, are very much at play in our lives also. I mean, seriously, how many of us in this room would be following Yeshua if we didn't hear his call? How, how many of you would be doing Torah, which is like very counterculture and can lead to people misunderstanding you, if you hadn't heard a, a genuine call from Yeshua to return to the ancient paths, to recover your heritage? I mean, really, like we, we as a community are here because we have heard a call and we're following the one who called us. Uh, Avram didn't have the big picture either. I love this. He always like, go. Avram's like, where do I go? He's like, I'll show you when we get there. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, really, that, that is a leap of faith. So Avram did not have the big picture here. He had, he had a little inkling of what was going to happen. He, there was a point where he always said, okay, here are a couple of promises. You made it to Canaan. Now, guess what? I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you this whole geographical territory. I'm going to bless you. And he begins to fill him in on some of the details. But originally, all he had was a call that he had to go to Canaan or somewhere. So I, I think that can be very true in our lives also. That takes some faith. Um, Often, everything Avraham had to go by was like a little handful of some promises that he'd heard at some point a couple decades ago and some altars that he built to commemorate 
the, the things that he had heard. Um, if you look at Avram's life also, it wasn't like boom, 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 every day stuff was happening and there was, and there was a lot of action. When we read these chapters, it looks like it because it's only a couple of chapters. But if you look at the text, it's like 25 years sometimes, two and a half decades between events. Wow. So there were, there were significant time lapses between his epiphanies, shall we say. So that can happen in our lives too. Um, Avram is called, quote, the believer. He's like the quintessential believer in the writings of Yeshua's apostles. It's, it actually, I think it's something that's kind of sad because believing and faith are like the same thing in Hebrew, but in English we have two separate words. Like faith is a noun in, in, in English, but it's not a verb. You don't faith something. You're not a faither. But the idea is Avram was faithing it. Avram was a faither. And in, in Hebrew that has the connotation of faithfulness. So he'd heard the call, and he was being faithful to the call. He was believing Yahweh. And as, as, as we read in Genesis 15, this was actually why he was counted righteous before Elohim. It wasn't because he was a really good guy. It wasn't because his works were all lined up, because they weren't. He made some serious mistakes, but he believed Yahweh. Um, we see in these chapters, there were times when, as he had some serious crises, like when he went down to Egypt and, and Pharaoh took his wife, that is a serious crisis for any man. And Yahweh bailed him out of that. He, he came through for him. I think it's cool. It wasn't just that Avram was faithing it. Yahweh was faithing it for Avram. Yahweh was faithful to Avram. And uh, we, we see that several times in this parasha. Um, Avram's journey, you could say part of it began with his dad, but the other half of it began with the call. And... I, I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a transformation that we're going through. Homeostasis. How many of you remember me talking about homeostasis? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical condition. A physically, homeostasis is your best friend. Homeostasis is the way your brain is built to maintain uh, vital signs. Keeps your blood, it keeps your heart pumping. keeps your brain waves firing. It means when you go to sleep, you don't die right away because homeostasis is maintaining your, your body temperature and that type of thing, Right? It's kind of like stasis. We get the word static from that. Staying the same. A homeo, of course, is a human being. Now, that's good on a physical level. But we as human beings have a tendency towards psychological homeostasis that's deadly. That's why people will do things for their whole lives and never change. And they'll never even question why they do them. It's psychological homeostasis. It's staying the same. And that's a danger. And we as believers, we face that danger. Really. Like we go to a church and we say, okay, you know, I, uh, I, I confess Jesus is my Savior, I was baptized, and I go to church. I've arrived basically now, I can just kind of cruise for the rest of my life. But when we look at the life of Avram, we see a journey, we see a development, we see that he was going from point A to point somewhere. And it's very true of every one of us. So I, even for us, once we, once we get into the Torah movement, sometimes we have a tendency to work towards homeostasis. I know that's something I fight. I just want to be like, yeah, I got the Torah. It's the greatest heritage in the world. I've arrived. But then I begin to like, but then I listen through the Gospels, let's say, like I was doing this week on my MP3 player, and I hear about all the stuff that Yeshua was doing that I just don't see in my life. You know, like some of the spiritual power stuff. And I say, you know what? No, I may have left point A, but I haven't arrived at point wherever it is he's taking me. I'm on a journey. I still have serious questions. I still have stuff I wrestle with. I'm, I'm going somewhere, and I can't just build my little house and settle down. My, my metaphorical little house. So it's true for every one of us. And you know what? 
It's a good question to ask ourselves regularly. How have I changed? How have I changed in the last year? How has my thinking changed? How has my doctrine changed in the last year? Uh, sometimes, sometimes people in more like uh, really liberally, like kind of theologically open or even liberal movements in Christianity will take this idea and they'll have a heyday with it. So sometimes in the emerging church, for instance, you have people who have who really don't know what they believe anymore, and they really love this concept of a journey because it means you can depart from orthodox faith and you can question everything. But there's a there's a point where that's unhealthy too, right? Like. In, so as I talk about journey here, as I talk about questioning, as I talk about wrestling, I'm not talking about forsaking biblical faith. I'm not talking about examining other religions or that kind of thing, right? It probably goes without saying, but I want to put that disclaimer in so none of you guys can, uh, can pull out your, your, your rocks and throw them at me for, for sounding like a heretic right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so... That's, that's the basic, basic assumption in Avram's life then, in our lives as disciples now. We have left something, and we're going somewhere, and we don't have the big picture yet. So we're following Yeshua and his call. And that's true of individuals, it's true for us as families, it's true for us as a community. That's why we're constantly taking a pulse, we're asking questions, we're saying, does this work? Where are we going? That, that kind of stuff. So that's a, those are my thoughts um, from this parsha. Um, I want to I read a passage from the book of Hebrews that comments on the life of Avram and also uh, his, his son and his grandson. And then we'll watch a, we'll watch a music video that I, I, that I think will get some stuff um, thinking in our minds. So if we could flip it to the next thing. Well, why don't you stand up with me for this reading too? I like standing up sometimes to uh, read passages from scripture because in the Torah it says stand in the presence of a sage or like a, a senior person eh? and I mean really the author of the epistle of the Hebrews was such a sage so let's, uh, let's read through this together and see what it has to teach us about the concept of the journey by faith Abraham when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God, Elohim. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Amen. So these guys were nomads. They didn't know where they were going entirely. So I'm going to play a video for you. It's uh, by a band that's quite popular. They're, they're based out of London. They're called Coldplay. Um, they're, they're not a Christian or a Messianic band. So I want to give you a little bit of a, uh, a context on why I'm, I'm, I'm playing this video for you. Um, I, I look to Yeshua for my teaching, and I look to the Holy Scriptures for doctrine. However, at the same time, um, this is how I operate. I know that I have a mission from the Master to reach my city for Yeshua. And that generally starts with building relationships with people. 
the whole lesson of the incarnation on a practical level is Yeshua came to a people group and he incarnated into that people group. He spoke their language and he reached them on their level. And uh, there's a place for, for us to do that also in our city. So learning what's the lingo of specific sub-communities that we want to reach. Let's say the Muslim sub-community. If we want to reach them, what's the lesson of the incarnation? It's not become a Muslim, right? But it is learn how Muslims think. Learn what are the key terms that a Muslim uses in talking about faith. It's going to go a long way towards helping you to reach Muslims and helping them to see the gospel as something that is actually relevant to them. Right? So, you know, I'm part of a younger generation of people. Many of them have no biblical background. They're totally unchurched. And so when you reach people like that, for instance, you want to start with something that they're familiar with. Um, the scripture says that we're all created in the image of Elohim. So there's something in every human being that's a reflection of the Creator. Even though we've gotten ugly over time, even though our souls are twisted, even though, what did we learn last week from the Noah passage? We're all bad, only bad, and nothing but bad. And that's what we do, too. Right? So I believe in the total depravity of humanity. But at the same time, when you look at the human heart, people still have the desires that reflect good desires. They still have hopes and dreams that are essentially good because they are created in Yahweh's image. The question is, how do they, what do, who do they go to for the fulfillment of those desires? How do they let those dreams... Where, where, where do they want those dreams to play out? And that's where we either end up worshipping the true God or we end up resorting to idolatry. That's kind of the danger there, right? I'll give you an example. Uh, Yeshua came to that Samaritan village and there was a woman there, very loose, scandalous background. She was a social outcast. And she went to the well when no other, no other women would be there because she probably... There was some significant static between her and the other women in town. And Yeshua was sitting there. And he was a bad Jew. Really. By the cultural standards of the day, Yeshua was a bad Jew. Because number one, he talked to a Samaritan. Number two, he talked to a Samaritan woman. Number three, he talked to a loose Samaritan woman. Number four, his disciples weren't even around. It sounds like it was a one-on-one conversation. I mean, really. Totally breaking the cultural norms of the day. And he, start, he engaged her. He started the con- conversation. And what did he build on? He built on the the fact that she had a need. It was a physical need. She was thirsty. She had to drink every day. But he started with that, and then he went on to show her how she had a legitimate need, and he was the answer to that need. And that's a really good strategy when you're dealing with people in the world, people who maybe have no church background. Everyone that you know has legitimate needs. And they're going somewhere to fill those needs. Everyone has a deep inner thirst. And everyone is drinking something, whether it be poison or from the toilet bowl or from the Holy Spirit, you know, to use those pictures, to satisfy those needs. And it's a good place to start. So, you know, I... I, I, As disciples, every one of us in this room are sociologists. A sociologist is like someone who watches people, who, who, who learns about why people act the way they do and watches how they interact with each other. Yeah, and I'm really learning about this. Like, I love watching people. I like going to the mall and watching people, you know? And, but you know what? There's a reason for that. It's so you can understand people. Because the, the easy thing to do is to look at dysfunctional people, to look at addicts, to look at people that are the dropouts of society, and to judge them, right? How could they do that? How could they be like that? Why don't they pick themselves up by the bootstraps and change? Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Genevieve and I were biking down by the river, and uh, we, we saw this dis- like garbage disposal unit for used needles. And right then, we had a choice, right? We could say, that's disgusting. How could they have it in our city? Why would people ever use needles? And we could judge those people. 
Or we could take the compassionate approach and we could say, okay, this is, this is sad, this grieves us, we hurt for these people, but why? Why do people, why do people abuse substances? Why do people have to have needles, right? And when you begin asking why, you begin to maybe have some answers and understand where people are coming from. So this is kind of the world that I live in. This is how I operate. And uh, I just one second with that. And so that's why I want to play this video for you. It's a really good video. It tells a great story. You know, it's, it's like, um, it's quote secular. But I've been talking with Yeshua about something this week and I'm realizing the, okay, you know the Greek mindset? It's a dichotomous mindset. It's a mindset where we say, this is spiritual, this is secular. This is, this is the time and place where I'm spiritual. This is the time and place when I'm not. And that has really filtered down into our lives as believers. We don't have like an integrated approach to life anymore. We don't have like a holistic worldview, if I could use those terms. And th- those things can have negative nuances. I'm not suggesting any of the negative nuances, right? I'm just saying... So when I, look at a, when I look at, let's say, a music video by guys who maybe aren't believers in Yeshua, I don't automatically write that off. Now, that's not going to set my doctrine. I'm not going to maybe learn a lot from that. But I watch that to say, where is my generation at? What are their desires? How could I use this as a connecting point? Because this band, Coldplay, they have like 15, over 15 million fans on Facebook. Or if you're ever on YouTube, they like, for the last week or two, they had, they had a big uh, live, live concert uh, in Spain that they were advertising with Coldplay. There are tons of people there. Huge event, right? And so if you know anybody between the ages of like 13 and 30, I guarantee you they know, who, they know the band Coldplay, and there's a good chance they've seen this music video. So I'm just kind of giving you some, some background for why, why, why we're doing this, right? So, you know, if you have, you've seen a video like this, it's a good place to be like, hey, have you seen Coldplay's music video on this song? What do you think of it? And then, if that music video just communicates a genuine need or a real hope that people have, you can use that as a springboard to talk about the faith journey, about what Yeshua offers, that kind of thing, right? So that's kind of, that's a sh- very short blurb on the concept of being a sociologist and a missiologist in our culture. I'm going to read you the lyrics to this song. The main point isn't the lyrics. Often with a music video you have the lyrics and then you have a video that sometimes isn't related to them very much at all. But the lyrics to this song are pretty, they're pretty thought-provoking too. So I'll read those, these to you for a sec. Sometimes with a song you can't understand everything they're singing, right? So the, this song is called Paradise by Coldplay. The lyrics are, When she was just a girl, she expected the world. But it flew away from her reach... So she ran away in her sleep and dreamed of paradise every time she closed her eyes. When she was just a girl, she expected the world, but it flew away from her reach and the bullets catch in her teeth. Life goes on and gets so heavy, the wheel breaks the butterfly. Every time, a wa- every tear a waterfall. In the night, the stormy night, she'll close her eyes. In the night, the stormy night, away she'd fly. In dreams of paradise, she'd dream of paradise. And so, un- and so lying underneath those stormy skies, she'd say, I know the sun must set to rise. This could be paradise. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.